Hello, and welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. And Candy here in Clarksville, Tennessee, just back from Nashville. Hey, what's happening in Nashville? Oh, we had to go to the Trader Joe's. The nearest Trader Joe's is in Nashville. I see. And, you know, when you're sewing as much as I've been sewing, you really build up a hunger. Well, you sent me pictures of a couple of the things that you've been sewing, and they look great. <laughs> Thanks. I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, so we um, went to get some, I'm in Clarksville getting sewing lessons, and it's, there was one day this week where I sewed for 12 hours, more than 12 hours. Wow. However, the first two hours were me trying to get the machine to work and thread it properly. Even though I've threaded the machine before, apparently it can come unthreaded or something. I don't know why. I also have, right, right now, it's 97 degrees here. And what would that be, about 40 in Toronto? It would be really freaking hot. Yeah, it's terribly, terribly hot. So I have a little bit of a vent here from the air conditioning in the house. And I have a fan going on me as well. I just feel I'm the, I just do not like hot weather. I mean, I do if I'm on a lake or on a river. Sure, exactly. Without that, it's, I'm, I'm really just a loser in this weather. I just can't concentrate or anything. So I've got full fans going right now. Right on. Well, yeah. I just had the best dinner. Oh, you did? Oh my God. Uh, I'll tell you what happened. We were supposed to have dinner guests tonight. Oh, and Fun. when when we thought we were going to have dinner guests, mm-hmm. I thought that I was going to make sort of a mixed grill barbecue and a garden salad uh, and, you know, a bottle of wine. And there you go. Bob's yeah. your uncle. And Sheila said, I'd like you to make this recipe I saw online for scallops with jalapeno vinaigrette and orange supremes. Whoa. And my first thought was, this is high risk because, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to cook for somebody, it's good if if you've done it before. Yeah, that's true. You know, the pitfalls and you're not depending on, you know, some guy's video showing you what to do. Yeah. Uh, So unfortunately our guests had to cancel or reschedule. Um, But I said to Sheila, well, look it, why don't we do a test scallop dinner? Yeah. And see how it goes. And if I can pull that off, well, then we'll do it when our guests finally arrive. So I'll tell you how you go about this. You start by making an appointment with your bank manager to to get a nice hefty loan to get the scallops. Wow. These puppies, as it turns out, they're the large dry pack sea scallops. Mm -hmm. And they're about $8.50 Canadian a piece. So I went into the... uh, into the store and they looked like they were beautiful looking scallops. Yeah. So I thought, well, Sheila and I, we have healthy appetites. I'll get, I'll get, um, I'll get five each. So I said, I'll take 10, please. <laughs> and she put that on the scale and uh, I saw how much that added up to it. I, went, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to remortgage the house to buy these. I'll take eight, please. <laughs> wow. Well, so, everything is getting very expensive. Well, yes, uh, but this is pretty expensive. Yeah. So anyway, I bought eight of these and uh, I watched the video. It was one of Chef John Food Wishes videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like it was fairly straightforward. So here's what you do. First thing you do is you get a blender or a food processor mm-hmm. and you clean one jalapeno chili. You okay. take the seeds out, you take all the white membrane out. Mm-hmm. Turns out jalapeno chilies are not hot at all if you take the seeds and the white membrane Very out. Very true. So I did that, you chop it up and you put it in your fruit processor with um, about a quarter cup of rice vinegar seasoned rice vinegar is good uh about two tablespoons of olive oil and a little bit of mustard okay and you blend the crap out of that you puree it until it becomes a vinaigrette Mm. and you can strain it Mm -hmm. to get the little tiny bits of jalapeno out but we didn't and i wouldn't 
I think it's just fine. It might be if I was running a really high-end restaurant and I didn't want all the little spots of something, I wanted it to look really yeah. pure green color, yeah. I might I might strain it. But for home, okay. no. Okay. Um, so then you have to- When did make... the guests cancel? <laughs> Sorry? When did the guests cancel? Oh, the other night. Oh, so you already you had already got the scallops. Oh, no, no, I had not got the scallops. Oh, we decided not. we would get some scallops and anyway. do a test, a test scallop dinner so okay. that I could see if I could do it. All right. That I didn't catch that. I missed that. I'm sorry. That's so that's why you bought so many scallops. Well, I, I bought eight scallops so that oh. we would have four each. Okay. A scallop is not that huge. No. Oh, so you and Sheila would have four each. Got it. Correct. So you stayed, even though they canceled, you decided I'm going to go run through this recipe. Okay. I understand. Yes. We, we okay. decided we would do it like you yeah. test kitchen to see if yep. it could come out good. And if yep. it came out really good, well, then I would do it for the guests. Okay. And Keep then going. if I'm it didn't sorry. come out good, then I would do a mixed grill barbecue. That okay. was our deal. All right. Got it. So I got the ingredients. The next thing is, I also got two really nice oranges. I only needed one, as it turns out. Okay. Um, but it's got to be a really good juicy orange. Yeah. And you have to make orange supremes. I didn't know what the hell an orange supreme. I don't know what it was. is either. Okay. I know what so, orange whips are. No, pineapple whips. <laughs> so you cut the two ends off your orange through the peel and through a bit of the flesh. You have to get into the flesh, and then. You use a knife and you cut the skin off the orange right into the flesh. So you bypass that pulpy stuff. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it exposes the sections of the orange. Mm -hmm. And if you pull apart an orange, you know that there's a membrane on the outside of each section. True. Well, you take a really sharp knife and it's like filleting a fish. Okay. And you The first thing you do is you have to cut out a section by cutting just inside one of the membranes down to the center and then on the other side of the section and it pops out without any membrane so it's just pure orange goodness mm. then the next one you have to slice just on the inside of that membrane leaving just a, a thin layer of membrane and then on the other side so that you pull out another segment until all you're left with is this skeleton of orange membranes and the orange wedges which apparently are called orange supreme uh-huh it's like a term like blanching i don't know you blanching is about cooking right but supreme means that they're peeled from that rind is that what it means it means they're supreme the they're fabulous <laughs> all right they're supreme <laughs> so you take the orange and you make them fabulous by cutting okay. out all of the flesh of the orange without mm -hmm. any of the, the pulpy stuff okay or the membrane stuff. Okay. So did that. And then you take your, your scallops and you rinse them and you dry them nice with paper towel. Got to be dry. Mm -hmm. And you sprinkle on a little bit of salt and just the tiniest little bit of cayenne on each one. Um, and I used a cast iron pan for this and I use grapeseed oil. Because Chef John said, I use grapeseed oil. <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, do it like he did. Yeah. So uh, I bought some grapeseed oil, and uh, which works good because it has a very high smoking. High price. heat, yeah. Uh, so you, you heat up your pan. And I used a cast iron pan um, <laughs> to very, very hot. And what you want to achieve is you want to pan sear <laughs> both sides of each scallop for depending on the size of the scallop. And here's where I was worried because it doesn't say if a scallop is X size, it's this long. If it's Y size, it's this long. No, 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 no. It's two, three or four minutes depending on the size of the scallop. That's not very helpful. <laughs> However, I think about three minutes, little over three minutes is just about right. And in the hot pan, you sear one side for about three minutes turn it over with a pair of tongs, sear the other side. And then I got two plates and I spread a little bit of the jalapeno vinaigrette down. Mm -hmm. And then I artistically placed my 
cooked scallops uh, on top of, I think if you were in a nice restaurant, they would give you three, not four. Right. However, symmetry or lack of symmetry, lack of symmetry. It's, um, it's $8.50 less cost. (laughs) (laughs) But we had four each and they were yummy. How much Um, are they in a restaurant? They must be a lot. So I, I put the uh, the scallops on top of the, the vinaigrette and then I arranged the orange supreme slices in amongst the scallops. Oh. And then I drizzled the jalapeno vinaigrette over everything. Wow. Oh my God, is it ever good? Is it? It is so wow. yummy. And you could make a bet with somebody about there being jalapenos in it because there's zero heat. Yeah. It's just a lovely chili flavor. Right which is such a nice flavor. Wow, good job. So now you are prepared next time someone comes over for dinner. I am prepared. All right. This will be like my signature dish. Yeah, I like that. Well, you are going to have somebody over for dinner soon. That's true. Meg and I are on our way. All right. Yeah, I'm going to Montreal for a bit, but you'll definitely have Stag there. That's Mm. for sure. Oh, pretty exciting. Well, we'll look after him for you. Don't I worry. I know. It'll be so we, great. I'm we sure won't let him get in too much trouble. I know. He's going to be, he's so excited. Oh, we're both really excited. Um, well, yeah, you know, I've been sewing out, sewing, sewing, sewing. So my friend Karen here, um, I just want to tell you something I found out. So Karen is teaching me how to use a sewing machine. I have such a learning curve. I've learned so much this week that I'm actually like, I'm overloaded now. I've done so many things that I never could believe I would do. But the main thing I learned is that sewing is ironing. <laughs> and why is sewing ironing? I'm you glad iron? you asked. I'm dying to tell you. Well, basically, everything that you're sewing, when you do a seam, let's say you're, I'll start with a hem. With a hem, you turn your fabric over away from the good side towards, you, you look at the bad side, you put it on the ironing board and you turn up a quarter of an inch on the edge of the hem you're going to, or the seam you're going to sew and you iron that whole sucker. Oh, then, of course. So it sits flat. Yes. So you can manage it. It's really so you can That's manage That's why you it. have employees. <laughs> I have a the ironing My part. empire hasn't got to that place yet, <laughs> but I'll tell you, I can't wait for the empire because I can't tell you when I last ironed a shirt. Wait a second. I can tell you. I last ironed, my mother used to make us iron on, do all these chores on Friday afternoon. And I used to hate it because I wanted to go with my friends on Friday in high school. I didn't want to be at home doing housework. My sister and I would have to do all the, you know, do the vacuuming, clean the bathroom. And my mother would have this huge pile of ironing and we had to iron sheets, which I thought was ludicrous. We're putting them on the bed anyway. Who cares if they're ironed? No one's going to see them. Exactly. Well, her feeling was that they were this beautiful, crisp cotton and you wanted to get in, have them beautifully smooth on the bed. So for whatever reason, my mother was into this ironing. So we, I would iron these sheets. I, some people, I swore. Okay. Yeah. Some people like ironing. Some people like it's, ironing. It's that true. They true. like ironing. Yeah, they do. There's probably um, a name for it, a clinical name. Iron a and film? A ther- therapy would probably help. Yeah, it could help. So I swore I was never going to iron again. And my sister and I just don't like ironing. We don't like ironing or vacuuming because that's what we had to do on Friday afternoons. And if we didn't do it right, my mother would have a fit. You know, for many years in the working world, Mm -hmm. I was expected to dress professionally. And and over the years, I'm glad you mentioned that. That had different meanings. um, And I always went for the low end of whatever the current meaning was. (laughs) Uh, But, but the, The bottom line is I couldn't exactly go into work with a shirt that looked like I slept in it. Sure. So I never let that stop me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I I didn't do that, but I discovered that you can buy no iron shirts. Uh They're probably doused in some kind of chemical that will kill (laughs) you probably from years of wearing them. And they're probably made with a chemical too. I don't know what the, what the heck they're made, but they don't, they don't, uh, they, they don't get wrinkled. It was made for me because I, right. I hate ironing the most, more than anybody. Oh, I, I don't ironing. know. I, I think my sister and I will give you a run for their money, your money. So the last time I remember ironing was, and this goes to my sister, I was staying in Vancouver with my sister and brother-in-law, 
and he, you know, was working at a, a big job. He had to look presentable and he had to iron his shirts. Well, that was his, that's what he did. He wouldn't have expected anybody else to do it, but I'm staying there and they go away. I think they go away somewhere for the weekend while I'm staying there. And I see this huge pile of shirts. So I figure, you know what? My sister doesn't mind me staying here, but I got to suck up to my brother-in-law because he's letting me stay here in Vancouver in their house. So I ironed all the shirts. My sister was really pissed, of course, because she was like, I don't do that for him. He was like, oh, you're amazing, Candy. You <laughs> ironed my shirts. <laughs> and she's like, never do that again. But I did do them all the time I could for him because it was something that I, you know, my, I, I, I knew I could do it. And it sort of helped. And it was directly helping my brother-in-law. So I've been doing a lot of ironing. You fold that first crease over, then you fold the second one to about half an inch, however big your uh -huh. seam is, and then you pin it. Okay. And then you sew. I was taking my pins out. I got to a place where I was keeping my, I kept the pins in. And it's so radically helpful to keep those pins in. You, your machine goes right over it. I mean, it goes right over it until it doesn't anymore. So I used to go to work with, um, you know, challenging clothes of ironing or not. And I would buy clothes that I didn't have to iron because I disliked it so much. Um, which made me think when you bring up your t-shirt or your work clothes is that we could probably find a little nuance in our society about ironing. Because at one point, corporations, if you worked in a pet store or a grocery store or restaurants got right into this, they'd get these polo shirts because I'm sure they had staff like me that would come to work all wrinkly and they were like, how can we control this? Well, we'll make them wear these polo shirts and we'll stick our, our, our name on the shirt. So if you go into many, I don't know if it's still happening or not, but for years in the 90s and zeros, people were wearing these polo shirts with a logo on them in every store you went into a restaurant. Well, Even and in certain businesses, you could attach flair to the shirts. You could attach flair, that's right. Flair, right. yeah. Yes, yes, you could. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always thought I want to work at a job where I don't have to wear that polo shirt or, or wear a shirt that I have to iron. Um, I, I'm but, assuming everybody knows the flair reference. Yeah, adding pins and uh, decals to your shirt. Yes, but the reference was from Office Space. Yes, it was to Office Space. With yeah, the Jennifer really Aniston good. character. Very good. Yeah, so I don't know. So now, you know, you think about, you'd want to, those are the worst boring jobs, the ones where you have to wear a polo shirt. So it's, <laughs> you see somebody in one of those general corporate polo shirts, you're like, they're really at the bottom of the ladder. And that seems kind of classist now. Seems kind of wrong. Um, yeah, so I'm, frant I'm, I'm frantically ironing and um, sewing and sewing and sewing one day, like 12 hours of sewing. After two hours of figuring out how to, what had gone wrong with my bobbin and my machine, I sewed, 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 made a couple of different things. How I've got two or three things that are in progress and then the machine jammed. <laughs> What do you I, mean jammed? I, it jammed. It won't, it won't sew. So it was jimmied. It was jimmied. And yeah. it was jammed so bad it was jimmied. And so I tried to look if at it. I, I don't know if jimmied or jammed is worse, but if it gets really bad, you know there's only one thing to do. MacGyver it. That's right. You got That's it. Right. You have to MacGyver yeah. it. Yeah. So I have a MacGyver here. I was late to come to the podcast today because I was talking to uh, my MacGyver guy. He's better than a MacGyver guy, though. He's a genius. My friends I'm staying with are George and Karen, Ethan and Doug. And George, um, he's he's insanely intelligent. He can take anything apart and put it back together again. So George heard my machine was not working because uh, I took over their whole kitchen sewing <laughs> and with an ironing board and, and several reams of fabrics. Anyway, George starts taking the sewing machine apart. And around about 10 minutes into it, I go into sheer panic. Because I'm like, is he going to be able to put this back? And if he can't, can I put it back together again? So we've got to, he said, find a video or find an instruction manual. So I find a video of a guy taking apart a singer's, a singer's simple sewing machine. Not the same model as ours, but very similar. And, you know, I'm holding it and reading it and talking to George. We're looking at it. And he is pulling those screws off faster than I can keep track of them. <laughs> and I'm getting more and more panicky, but I'm trying to be cool because I know he could put it back together again. But, you know, there are certain things that when you take them apart, they're very difficult to put back together. So again. true. So true. And like I'm Humpty Dumpty. 
Yes, and I'm beginning to, I saw a meme the other day that said, okay, if the king's men can't get them together, try the horses. Because <laughs> <laughs> what were the horses going to do to Humpty Dumpty? <laughs> I don't know, but it made me laugh so hard. Um, yeah, so he's taking it apart and we reach, a, we, we hit a wall. We cannot get the front of the machine off. We've got the bottom, the sides, the arms, the everything off. It's, it's now it's like the Terminator. It's like a small sewing machine AI. <laughs> It's all the skeleton of the sewing machine, except the front, where we have to look at why the wheel is jammed. And um, we, couldn't, we couldn't get it off. It was a slightly different model, probably newer, and they probably made it so we can't take it off because we'll have to go to a repair shop. But this guy who has had his video was a fantastic video. And um, at first so it was So you're saying annoying. you went down to Clarksville and you broke their sewing machine? It's not their sewing machine. It's, it's worse. It's the one I borrowed from that Jason and I are using back in Chicago. I hope Jason is not listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> because obviously now, so we get to the wall, can't get that thing off. And it's supper time. And you know, you don't mess with supper time with the senior. That's it. It's supper time. It's over. And I'm like, damn it. I'm going to have to put this thing back together again. So <laughs> somehow, I don't know how I did it. I did get everything back on it. But I still have to take it back to the, I now have to take it to a service a repair person in Chicago. So that'll be what I'll be doing tomorrow when I drive back to Chicago, taking the machine in. Don't worry, Jason, I'm taking it in to get repaired. <laughs> it needed service anywhere, way I believe. Now, Karen, my instructor, said after it got jammed, she goes, well, look, it didn't sound right the whole time you're sewing it. I'm like, oh, my God, you're kidding me because it was doing this clunking noise. Well, at the beginning of the YouTube video, he says, I'm going to fix this machine because look, I'll show you what it sounds like. Well, it sounds exactly like the sewing machine we've been using. Clunk, 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 clunk. Mm. I mean, it sound, it's working and it sewed lots of things, but it was doing a clunking thing. Anyway, so there's my um, sorry, sewing story. And, you know, I live in fear of people taking these things apart. I, I've known a number of people who have taken machines apart and you do go, well, how now, how long will it be apart? Oh, my God. Uh, we had you an know. interesting week as well. You have? We did. Well, I told you last week that um, that breakfast television was going to do the weather. Oh, yeah. Our place. Well, yes. They show up 530 in the morning on Thursday. And the first thing that happens is our Newfoundland dog, George, makes friends with Frankie Flowers. Right. And everywhere Frankie goes, George went. <laughs> so every time they did a weather hit George was in the shot and everybody back at the studio of course fell in love with George so they were all going let's learn to relax like George they're all kind of like <laughs> flopping their heads down oh my god and Frankie was saying things like this is George he's 173 pounds I'm 173 pounds <laughs> so a few days later I was just going out to the store or something. And one of my neighbors was coming by and he stopped no, me. No. And he said, he said, Eugene, I was in Mexico on Thursday. And, <laughs> and I turned on my computer to get some breakfast television. And what do I see? George. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Oh my God. You know, um, someone in my family was a national reporter in Canada and Vancouver. I'm not going to say who it was. I may have mentioned them earlier in this podcast, but I'm not going to say who they were. <laughs> and years ago, that, that person I'm not mentioning was doing an expose on the Hells Angels. And I said, I don't know you anymore. I refuse to know you anymore. Goodbye. And they're like, why are you being a drama? I went, whatever. It was nice to be your family. I'm not your family anymore. Anyway, lo and behold, there, then there was a few friends that were, you know, journalists that were all hanging around. Anyway, lo and behold, the, um, the story breaks. And about an hour later, someone had broken into their house and drowned their radio in a plastic bag in the bathtub. Okay. That's a message, huh? Yeah. So they had to get like, you know, security and, and go on the lamb and all that stuff. <laughs> and by the lamb, I mean, we all drink, you know, Prosecco in a hotel. But the story went on to the news, the major news. And it was one of their best friends was doing the story. And he goes, God, and he had just moved from radio to television. And he goes, doesn't it fucking figure that my first television story is in your bathroom? <laughs> 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 it was so crazy. 
I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing that. Well, you might. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And, you know, some people don't listen to this podcast. I don't know who those people would be. I could talk about them all I want because they don't <laughs> listen. Because they don't listen, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we had another issue it going sounds, on this week. Oh, I just want to say that does okay. sound like a lot of fun. I love the photos of Frankie Flowers. I didn't mean to take over from Georgia's um, superstardom in Mexico. International supermodel. George, I hope he doesn't marry Johnny Depp or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't let him marry I want Johnny him to Depp stay anyway. off of reality TV. Um, and he boy, he loves the from... camera, or the camera oh, loves him. He apparently does love the camera. <laughs> the photos were great, and that is hilarious that your neighbor saw that. So Too meanwhile, funny. one of our cats, Yeah, we have a cat named Jocks, as okay. you know. We have, we have a, a cat named Jocks yeah. and a cat named Jack. Yeah, Jocks. When we name Jocks, they look Jocks, alike. He, well, yes, they do, but but <laughs> Jocks, Jocks, he's a little bit older, yeah, and a little bit, little bit chunk, chunkier. Mm-hmm. Well, when he came to us as uh, as Jacques, and the, he had a brother in the Humane Society too. Was it Pierre? Jacques, no, it was Gil. <laughs> Jacques and Gil went up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, we uh, we brought him home. We we brought him in a carrier to see um, to see one of Sheila's aunts, and and Sheila's aunt, uh, God bless her, she was she was a professional at butchering French, so oh. we introduced him as Jacques, and she insisted on calling him Jocks. <laughs> so you know we called him Jocks from that day on. Yeah, he yeah. just became Jocks or Joxy. <laughs> well, he had this really weird growth on his on one of his toes on his paw. Mm-hmm. And there was like around a couple of the other toes, there was a bit of this dark, it's like a residue, like a, a discharge or something. Vets didn't really know what it was. And this one started growing like a horn. Mm-hmm. Like it grew about a quarter inch. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to have a look at it. And of course, the day before he was to go in and get sedated so they could you know, do a little biopsy yeah. and like that. Of course, he pulls the horn off. Ugh. Like they do. Mm-hmm. So he immediately after that, it must have been really bugging him having this thing stuck to him because yeah. he was himself after that. But still, we brought him in and they uh, they did a little biopsy to test it to just make sure there's nothing nasty going on there. They had to put a couple stitches in to sew it up. Yeah. And then they put a bandage on, oh, on his paw. And you know how much cats love bandages. Oh, on yeah. I'm sure that lasted a long time. Well, so then they sent him <laughs> home with an Elizabethan collar on. <laughs> well, yeah. That went over really well. Yeah. He got home. The first thing he did was try to run up the stairs. But when he ran up the stairs, oh, the cone no. kept hitting the stairs. Yeah. So he went, went boop, 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 oh, no. going up the stairs. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he, the cats under, you know how on, bed box springs underneath there's like a fabric that's kind of stapled yes, I do. on. well yeah. that's actually stapled on so that your cat can unstaple areas so they can get in there absolutely so jocks got in there with his collar <laughs> on but it was like he was in a minnow trap he couldn't get out again so i i go upstairs and i can hear Horrible. now now oh, no. now now <laughs> get me out of here i had to take the the mattress off and then lift the box spring up and find where he was floating in there and reach in and pull him out put him down on the floor and of course he ran down the stairs this poor cat oh poor guy so we finally we uh we figured we could take the collar off which meant the same day he took the bandage off right but you know he wasn't fussing with the stitches and it was the third day and they said the bandage should stay on three days so Uh we thought okay so the collar is off the uh the bandage is off he hasn't pulled at his stitches and everything's healing fine and and the stuff's not back from the lab yet so we don't know if there's any anything nasty in there right okay good and he he did he did he he's he's walking around okay yeah, oh yeah. Oh, good. Good. Really gonna, good we're not stuff. letting him outside because yeah. he's an outdoor cat and right. he's not very happy about this because he no. wants to go out there and no do, doubt. do outdoor cat things. No doubt. 
So, so that's my week. Oh my god! Hey, we have mail. I know, I know, we do. And uh, I could not open up the attachment that um, one of the writers sent us, so I don't know what it is. You're gonna have to tell me. Okay. Well, I'll let's start with the other one. Oh, shall we? It's long. I guess let's. Yeah, it's long. Read the whole thing for me. Okay. Let me All right. just. Okay. Hello, agents. As always, and this is from Vox, friend of the podcast. Yeah. As always, enjoyed the podcast. You're talking about the Church of Rattlesnake Handlers reminds me of a scene in what is perhaps the only movie I am at least somewhat qualified to speak about, El Topo. One of the world's greatest movies. So you say. Oh, it's good. Uh, In it, there is a scene that takes place in a church. (laughs) The minister loads a single bullet into a six-shooter, spins the cylinder, and then, as the congregants chant, God loves us and protects us, he passes the gun to one of them, who puts the barrel to their temple and then pulls the trigger. The gun does not fire, it is handed back to the minister, and the chant begins anew. On the polygamy front, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry to have to tell you that polygamy is not only practiced in Utah and some of the other four corner states and maybe parts of BC and Russia, but Mm -hmm. it's actually legal in 58 nations, almost all in either Asian or African countries in which Islam is the religion of the majority. Interestingly, polyandry is not permitted anywhere on this planet. Oh, so I guess that means that it's legal for men to have multiple wives, but not legal for women to have multiple husbands. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. As for dreams, who really knows what they signify? Some may have meaning, but some do not, or at least are only open to highly subjective interpretation. I suspect that dreams, which have a repeating theme, may be more open to interpretation. Let me briefly describe two dreams I had many decades ago. The first one was part of a series of dreams I had about being able to fly. They would all begin with me running along the street, taking ever longer strides until each was the distance between telephone poles. At that point, I could stay airborne if I started a swimming motion. (laughs) I would never go too high up, but it was pretty exhausting. But one fine day while flying from Montreal to Toronto, I had the idea that it might be an awful lot easier if I wore a pair of flippers. And of course, I was right. Weird thing is, I was able to bring that discovery forward to future dreams, and so did not have to reinvent the wheel, as it were. The other dream was a one-off and totally wacky. In it, I was one of maybe 30 human slaves who had been captured by aliens and taken to a planet they controlled. The only slave I knew from our days on Earth was a girl I had been very fond of during the summer of my 15th year, Judy. Anyway, I did not like being a slave, but we were not beaten or otherwise badly treated Mm -hmm. and wanted to escape. But like most, I was confined to our work camp. It was only the prisoner trustees who were allowed out to deal with things that our alien guards wanted done where they lived and worked. And so I worked away at being the sort of captive that the aliens would see as trustworthy. It took years, but eventually (laughs) I became a trustee. As a trustee, I got to see where the aliens worked how many of them there were, and most importantly, where they kept their spaceship. From there, I developed a plan, mostly based on a a Zappa lyric, smash every creep in the face with a rock. And it was a good plan. The two aliens at the monitoring station never saw it coming, and I was able to overpower the one alien guarding the spaceship. I do not know where I picked up the knowledge, but I was able to fire the thing up and head back to Earth. It was maybe a three-day trip. As I got very close to Earth, I realized I did not know how to land the sucker. And so I decided the safest thing would be to land on the water, figuring it would be more forgiving. Well, I hit the water, but the ship started to fill with water pretty quickly. And so I had to abandon ship and swim for shore, maybe half a mile. Of course, the ship sank and no one would believe my story. But it was real. And I was determined to prove it. It took some doing, but eventually I convinced some divers to go take a look for it. And sure enough, they found it. And a few days later, it was raised from the ocean floor. Well, as you can imagine, it was the sensational news. <laughs> and I was eventually brought to Congress to testify to what happened. In my testimony, I put forward the proposition 
that if given a small team of green berets to accompany me back to the <laughs> aliens world, we could rescue the slaves. I got my wish and off we went. Dealing with the aliens there was easy and all the slaves were quickly rounded up and brought back to the ship. All of them that is, but Judy. Oh. I had to go find her. She was sitting on the shore of a lake but did not want to return to earth. She told me she had nothing to go back for and besides which, she thought their world was gorgeous with its green sky and yellow water. So I returned to the ship on my own. And there, the dream and the email ended. Wow, that's an incredible dream. I mean, the detail in that, uh, how long was that dream? Five minutes or like 10 hours? I mean, wow. Did he say when he had that dream? Was it uh, I just read the thing to you. I can't yeah, say any more I, than that. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm curious about when that was. I mean, what a re what a recollection. It was such a powerful dream. Wonder what it means. Well, see, that's why we need more dreams, more people more to dreams. send in their dreams. Because if we get enough dreams in here, we might start to be able to. We make might start to understand them. Yeah, I, I I did know that polygamy happens in other places. I, I probably wasn't very clear in that the essay I had written had had argued that there was a certain kind of economic situation where polygamy would emerge. And Russia and Utah were very strong um, situations where that kind of economic strife kind of encouraged polygamy. Because you're not competing for jobs if there's one husband, there's not five, you know, five families, there's one is the idea. Um, because they in, in this um, documentary, I watched it, when was it, a couple of weeks ago, about the Church of Latter-day Saints and Warren Jeffs, they would banish boys once they were 10 years old, 11, 12. So there's orphan boys working around the United States that were, you know, abandoned, sent away by their parents. They weren't allowed to stay in the community anymore. One, they compete with food, jobs, and wives. But probably mostly jobs yeah <laughs> that was a great great email yes yes thank wow. you folks for sending that in much appreciated and very entertaining yes. very entertaining we also received a book recommend recommendation from another friend of the podcast adam andia uh and she's recommending uh, a fluxus poetry book the inexplicaciones <laughs> And Vivi's Dreams by Bibiana Maltos and John Bennett. Oh, two longtime Fluxus friends of uh, Adamandia, and she provides a link. So we'll Great. check that out. Yes. Because well. when we get a recommendation, we take them seriously. We do. For instance, yes. For we instance. received a suggestion recently uh, of that we really ought to watch some revisionist westerns. Yep. And one was suggested Slow West. And so we watched Slow West. This we did, week. which which I had never seen. I had never I, even heard of it. I, I never even heard of it. it, and I'm quite surprised I hadn't heard of it. Actually, it's, it's kind of up my alley. It's a 2015 film directed by John McLean, and it's starring Michael Fassbinder, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, Karen Pistorius, Ben Mendelsohn, and Rory McCann. It's a relatively short film as they go. Yes. It's an hour and 23 minutes. Perfect, yeah. if you ask me. <laughs> and um, I have to say, I love this movie. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't, I, I'm surprised. I was really, while I was watching, I was like, what is Eugene thinking of this movie? But I loved it too. They um, did not back down from a lot of things. It's no, a weird didn't. story of a boy, very young boy. Uh, what's really funny to me is that is Cody Smith, McPhee, he's in Power of the Dog. And he is this other, he plays this, that's twice now he plays this waif-like character in a, a revisionist Western, basically. Um, but yeah, he's come from Scotland to the United States and he's looking for someone that he really loves. A woman, a young woman that he loves that he knew got into trouble. Who's older in, than him. It's older than he, oh, she's older than him. He looks up to her, maybe he romanticizes her. Um, yes, and she gets in trouble because there's a shooting when his father comes to fetch him from the girlfriend's house. Mm -hmm. And the girlfriend has made it pretty clear that she loves him like a little brother. 
Yeah. Uh, but that isn't the way he loves her. No. And he's so serious about his love. He's going to take a boat across the ocean to America and get on a horse and ride out to the West and find his love. Mm-hmm. Who's out there with her father and they're on the lamb. Mm-hmm. So it's a coming of age story. Yes, it is. It's also, it's a road trip movie. Yes, it is. Right. But except that it, it's not cars, it's no, of horses. They're on a horse. And it's 1870. It is. Um, the first thing I'd like to say about this movie, and I've got quite a bit to say about this okay. movie. Uh, the, the first thing is that the photography in this film is unlike anything I've seen. It's beautiful. It's, it's really almost, beautiful. There's like a, there's a clarity of the foreground characters, like the humans and the horses, which is just stunning. Yeah. And it, it appears in some scenes as if the humans and the horses are stuck into a background mm-hmm. almost like it's a green screen sort of background mm-hmm. um but i don't think it is i, I don't know how they did it but right. they, they achieved a kind of separation between the humans and nature yeah um in a really beautiful beautiful way and this kid he's like super naive he has got he's got with him because you need to have you need to have an instruction manual if you're going to go <laughs> to the West, right? That's right. So he's got a book, a handbook to the West called Ho to the West. Right. And that's, he's, he's got some pots and pans and, and some clothes and off he goes. He's going he's gonna to find the girlfriend. Well, he's in for a rude awakening. He really is. Because whatever he thought about the West... Um, is not what he's greeted with. Mm-mm. The West is not the land of opportunity. The West is something else altogether. And he meets along the way, he meets a character who we're led to believe is like an anthropologist. He's writing a book oh, yeah. about, about the decline of the Aboriginal peoples in the West. Right. And he's very hospitable to this young man, Silas, and tells him, camp here. And he shares a meal with him. Yeah. Um, and by morning, he's robbed and blind. He's taken everything, <laughs> the horse, all his belongings. Yeah. And the guy's just out there and he leaves a note. He leaves a note for him that has an arrow and it says West. Yeah. But he says some things that are pretty interesting. Now, first of all, I the first thing I thought was that these two were, I thought they were going to be like best friends because they both didn't belong there. Okay. The one person was an outsider who was researching this world. Mm -hmm. And the other person is someone who's entering this world. It's like a quest myth myth in a way. He's going to to find his true love and bring her back. Right. Um, So I thought they were going to be two peas in a pod. So I was quite shocked when when this guy robbed him. Yeah, that was true. But they had a conversation in which Silas asks the uh, the anthropologist, you know, about the West and the East. And he's told that the West is about dreams and toil and the East is about violence and suffering. Wow. Very interesting. There's a lot, yeah. actually, a lot of quotable moments yes. uh, in, in this film. Um, he also meets a character, and I don't even know what this character's name is. I don't he, either. Michael Felsinger? He's he's a, he's an outlaw, and he oh. uh, he clearly is. He's got a wanted poster yes. for the girlfriend and her dad, right. and he wants the bounty. So he's going to get money from the kid to protect him while mm-hmm. the kid leads him to the bounty. Right, so right. He's a bad dude, but he's the best bet the kid's got. Right. Yeah. Well, he uh, finds the he finds the anthropologist that stole his clothing. He even right. stole the clothing that he wasn't sleeping in, and he brings back his horse and and materials. And I like when the kid says, "Did you kill him?" He goes, "No, I didn't have to." That's right. There's no reason to. There's no reason to. Yeah. Oh, and then the the kid ends up killing this woman. This yeah. woman who's like she's just shot somebody, and she's. She's really kind of crazed. They're robbing out- a store. They're robbing yes. a store. And this outlaw, this outlaw guy, he's sort of saying, just breathe, just breathe. And mm-hmm. she says, money. 
He, she doesn't speak any English right, except the word right. money. And yeah. he goes, just breathe, just breathe. And she says money. And it's like a chant. Just yeah. breathe, just breathe, money. And then Jay, uh, I guess it's Jay. I don't know why I called him Silas. I didn't either. There is a Silas. There is somebody called Silius or Silas in the movie. Anyway, it's Jay is the young man. Jay, yeah. Um, he, um, he, I guess he accidentally shoots the woman. No, yeah, maybe. I think he has to. No, I think he did that on you purpose. He did that on purpose? I it, guess. Sort of, it just sort of happens. Yeah. And like the outlaw was trying to not have to kill anyone. Yeah. Because he's a very interesting character. He's happy to kill people if he has a reason to. Right. But if he doesn't think he needs to kill someone. Right. Right. And so he used to ride with this band of outlaws who are also after this bounty. Mm -hmm. uh, but he left them because he's got like a higher moral code than they do. So Jay asks him, or Jay says to him, you know, there's more to life than just surviving. And he goes, yeah, there's dying. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a reference in the film to a falling angel traveling with a rising devil. Yes. Um, fascinating. And, yeah. And about the place that they're in, uh, the outlaw says it takes a certain, it attracts a certain breed of undesirable. And Jay says, just what breed are you? Oh, yeah. So this it's very quotable. sort It of is very quotable and, and very beautiful. You know what one of my favorite parts was, right? Um, they end up getting back together somehow. Well, there's two parts. One, a guy shows up in a huge bear coat and pours them absinthe and they start tripping out. And in fact, the kid runs into the wrong campsite. I was so confused by that. And it was in a good way, like in a great way. It just, you know, altered my mind. And so they do cross over with, I assume, Michael Fassbender's outlaw gang. I, is that the one that he was from or is it just a different one? Well, but it's a band of that he ran into who, um, who weren't possibly there. Oh, yeah. I was trying to figure out if they were there too. I couldn't figure it out. So it's like because he drank the absinthe. He, right. You know, I don't know right. if he hallucinated everything. Yeah, I don't know. But either, of course, but they you know, did run into them eventually. Yes. In real life. They're all after the same thing. But yes. it turns out that the outlaw, he really does have this. He's a really a sentimental dude, you know? Yes, he is. He's okay. But they fall asleep that night after drinking absinthe and a river overflows. That's right. And they're soaking wet. And again, it was this delightful whimsical weird thing that happened and they're stuck in this river and they get out and their clothes are all wet so they take off their clothes and they're like now what are we going to do and the kid says something do you have any rope and he and then and they figure out that they ride side by side on their horses and they made a clothesline out of the rope and they hung up their clothes in between the, them and the horses i mean That's it right. was and you so can beautiful see that, that the outlaw at this point knows the kid's all right yeah and he goes you're okay kid it's also, it's a movie about class because okay. the, the kid comes, he's like the, the son of a lord and lady. Right. He comes from a different class. And we see that when his father comes to get him, he says, you don't belong here. These people are commoners. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, so it's also a movie about kind of class struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but more than anything else, it subverts the idea that the West is... Um, the West is hope for an American dream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that you can't, you know, I thought it was very Cormac McCarthy in a lot of ways. I think there's a few movies that are influenced by Blood Meridian. And I would say that this guy that wrote this movie, I won't be surprised if he did be influenced by it in the way that you can't control the crime element or the violent element. You can't control, you can't outthink it. And I mean, that's no country with old men. People think they can plead their way out of these things and you can't, you can't bargain your way out of it. Well, if you run into that or you go up against it, that's like the river that catches them in the morning. It comes out of nowhere. And the kid was extremely, I guess, because he was privileged. He was sort of naive and hopeful. And um, I mean, it bothered my class bender very much. Hmm? Tremendously hopeful. Tremendously. And because he, he had just, the handbook. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't get it that this is not where you are. This isn't the world you can control. It's wild. It's, it's wild. 
Oh it's, yeah, and, uh, and how he survives as as far as he does is oh, it's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. There were some very fascinating violent scenes. It builds up to quite a suspenseful ending. Yes, and a tremendously sad ending too. Very sad. Very very. Right. Although sad you ending. ought to have been able to predict it as soon as if as soon as you realize that it's turning that idea of the Western promised land upside mm -hmm. down. Um, you might be able to predict the ending. Yeah, I didn't see that coming, but you're right. I should have been able to. I really didn't think that the film showed that it was going to be that um, severe, it, you know, because there's so many whimsical parts and there's some really funny bits. Like yeah. it's actually pretty funny in places. There's some great sight gags and visual comedy and humorous imagery. Like the guy, when they come across a tree, fallen and the person that was cutting the tree had been smashed by the tree like a, about 100 years earlier or something or 50 years earlier and the corpse was just the skeleton was lying squished by the tree it was pretty funny oh yeah and the kid was... goes it's sad and michael goes is it <laughs> and then they make a joke about darwin like the kid taught tells him well Jar darwin's theory of evolution or whatever That's right? right and uh and the uh, the outlaw looks looks at him, and you know he's just assessing his ability to survive in this kind of milieu. And he says, yeah. "You better hope he's not right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great uh, movie, and thank you, also, to Terry. Also, a scene—the scene with the mushrooms. Oh, oh yeah! My goodness gracious! You I thought about you then too. The giant mushroom. It's like, it's like this giant mushroom is the first thing you see in the scene, yeah. and then you see. Um, the, the kid in the background and and suddenly you realize that the mushroom gets smaller and the kid gets bigger yes. and you realize it's just your perspective. Yes, and that's Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer, Irish cinematographer, who I haven't seen a lot of films he's worked on, but I'm gonna go look them up. I've seen Fish Tank, but I this, wanna look up his film. Spe spectacularly filmed. Beautifully filmed. Even if, you, even if you just went for the cinematography, yes. it would be worth it. Yes, but it was a great movie. It's a little bit like Dead Man, you know, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man with Johnny Depp. Had that I weird vibe that too. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I think you really liked that movie. So thank yeah. you to uh, was Terry. It Terry. Terry. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, thank appreciate you. the suggestion. And we'll see if we can in the future watch another revisionist Western and then watch a classic Western. Right. right. And, uh, and then we can have a little bit more perspective to yeah, compare so, yeah. so we're not just going to uh, park this theme we'll, no. we'll, we'll come back to it a little bit come back later. to it we'll come back to it for sure um, I, just before we go I want to say I, I don't know where what we're doing here but I watched a great show I recommend this weird movie called Sea Gypsies you know if you ever want to see that there's different ways to live in this life I recommend watching Sea Gypsies it is a 120 foot boat I believe sailboat and um, the captain, it's filmed very strange that you have to kind of fall into the narration. You can't tell who's narrating it. It's a, the, the cinematography is fantastic, but the way it's constructed is unique. It, it may be a, an early filmmaker. It may be, um, you, you don't be attached to the, to the uh, narrative structure. The first 10 minutes are the hardest. After that, I was totally into it. And they, you see this boat where um, there's a crew and um, this captain has his family on there. He's about 50 and has all this young crew. He has his family and young children, but he's going to leave them in Australia. Starts out in New Zealand or Australia because he's going to Antarctica. He's going to Patagonia by way of Antarctica. And you spend about four weeks with them on the sailboat. And it is such a cool documentary. The photography, the nature is beautiful. And what they go through is, is pretty cool. And you see all kinds of behind the scenes um, issues with making the sail, fixing the sail, the motor breaks down, they have to fix the motor. Very similar to my sewing machine uh, struggles. <laughs> so I would like you to, I hope you can watch Sea Gypsies, Eugene. It's, you know, an hour and a half and, and you're, I'm just inspired. It's a little bit like watching an alternative economy. Um, some people would be on, on his crew, but they'd only go part way on the trip. They wouldn't go all the way. 
And so they could go on, sign up for a bit, sign off, get a different crew. But you do see about four or five of them. You see the food they have to pack. You, it's just so hard to believe that someone's doing that right now in such a technological world that they've chosen to live on sailboat like this. It's really cool. Well, the, the pressure to be connected all the time is very strong in our society, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you reminded me, sorry, of something that Captain said. I guess he had started out, you know, you think of an individual, such a person that would be so driven to live on a boat like this. They're pretty driven. They're, they're motivated. Well, he had to deal with something. He had to realize that he isn't, he may be a captain and he's a leader and he's got a lot of knowledge, but he needs to be interdependent because he couldn't do what he did if he didn't have a crew. Ah, so you really do see a little bit of, um, I thought that was really a beautiful thing. You could tell almost that he was like, when he was young, he was not arrogant, but he was like confident he would do it his own way. But he did need to have, um, to accomplish such feats of navigation and travel, you do need to have a team. You do need to work with other people. Sorry if I cut you off. But anyway, I really recommend seeing an alternative way to live. On the subject of being connected, yes, I went on to Twitter the other day. Oh, and it caused me to ask myself, <laughs> why am I on this platform at all? Oh no! Did you get in trouble again? No, I didn't get in trouble. I uh, I just I looked at you know I mean you just I don't like go searching for followers <laughs> particularly, and so someone follows me, you know, unless they're they're a Trumper, uh, I'll usually follow them back. Right, right. You know? Um, I try to avoid the, the Twitter bot babes who direct message me. I try not to follow them back. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for, for the most part, you know, I just follow anyone back. But yeah. I looked at my feed and here's some, some random tweets that I oh, see. Oh, no. Um, what's under your sink that's more helpful than a Republican? How about a holiday for those of us who had to endure really shitty parents? Oh, wow. I really like drinking iced coffee in this summer heat. I'm still wearing a mask and I'm very cool. Hope that helps. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, come on in. Uh, one. Yeah, in a second. I'm just doing the podcast. Oh, Jesus. It's okay, Karen. <laughs> Karen, can you come sorry. in and join the podcast? You want to come in and join the podcast? <laughs> That's a no, huh? But she was asking me if I wanted a wine. Now that well, is a wonderful. That's host. a yes. Yes, that's a yes. I was like, yes, I do. But after the podcast. I know. I thought we were going to be podcasting later tonight. I was going to line up my uh, my edibles and my wine. Do you have get... that chair in your bedroom for oh. clothes that aren't quite dirty and aren't quite clean? Well, that's a good question, actually. I like that one. Do you prefer white or brown rice? <laughs> I am, I'm not like looking for these. these yeah. This is my feed, right? Oh, you How many people feed? could say they remember, they really remember a rotary phone? Do you like Oreos? <laughs> when was the last time you cleaned out your garage? If you missed my first nothing tweet of the day, I assure you, you missed nothing. <laughs> Do you these ever play great. kickball? <laughs> I love them. What does the yellow traffic symbol mean to you? So I'm looking through my, my Twitter and this is all I've got. Well, that, that, that's so whimsical. I, I think I'm so used to things like, I hate, you know, gay people. I hate, uh, you know, I, I hate abortion. I hate this. I hate that. I don't have so many of the haters. I just get the people who ask stupid questions. Yeah, but aren't so, they looking for connection? Are they, are they thinking of whimsical questions to ask people? And maybe they want to have a conversation. conversation. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they'll build relationships. I don't yes. Know. And also if they ask a question, do you have that chair that sort of has clean laundry, sort of dirty? They're obviously one, trying to be a little funny and fun. One thing for sure I know about Twitter is yes. that if I follow you on Twitter, yes. it doesn't mean that I want you to immediately send me a direct message to tell me about <laughs> whatever business you're promoting. So it you really doesn't mean that. I know, I know. It doesn't at all. We get a few people telling us that they can help us with our 
social media on our Instagram page. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hey, everybody get, wants to help us with our website and our social media. I know. And we our must SEO. be terrible at social media. We must be horrible. Well, oh, and, we, and we got, um, we got a, a, a request from someone that started off. Oh, I should, I should read this. This came to my personal email today. Oh, and it's, it's about, your po- about the podcast. Uh, yes, it, it oh. was about the podcast. It was from okay. Margie. Oh, hi, Margie. And it was called, um, oh, Margie doesn't listen to the podcast. I, I know. can assure you. I know. Um, <laughs> hello, Eugene. Happy New Year! Exclamation mark. Oh, uh, this is June. Okay. Yeah. This is Margie. I am an assistant for Sari Ibrahim, a financial professional and a member of the Bank on Yourself organization. Sari wanted me to reach out to you to see if you would be open to having him as a guest on your podcast to talk about growing safe, predictable, and guaranteed wealth, regardless of market conditions. Right. And so he's open to have an introductory call, 15 minutes, to see if you two would be a good fit. To give you a better idea of what Sari does, he's the host of the show, Thinking Like a Bank. Here are links to the show. And there's links. In addition to being host of the show, Sari has been a guest on over 180 podcasts, Mm. probably because Margie keeps sending requests (laughs) out. And some people, I don't know, they'll have anyone as a guest. Right, right. Sari has helped real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees with creating their own sources of financing while also growing safe and predictable wealth all at the same time with the same money. Nice. So I, I'm going to respond and basically say, dear Margie, I don't think you've listened to our podcast. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that if you did, you would think that maybe this wasn't the best show for Sari to be on. <laughs> have a nice day and happy new year. Oh, you're so nice. We have what we have an email. Hello, the agency podcast. I sent you an email regarding build or rebuild your website. Are you interested? Then I can send you our packages and price list. Thanks and regards, web team. Not even a name, web team. team. Uh, But then it says from Franco. Hello, I am, this is all like a chain now because we didn't respond the first time. I am web development manager and I work with 120 experienced 17 professionals who are into our team expert in website design, (laughs) e-commerce. I can hardly read it because I don't know what I'm saying. Solutions, web developments, WordPress, et cetera. Website redesign. I am very skilled. I am a very skilled web designer with various abilities and can develop anything. Are you interested? Then I can send you our packages and price list. Franco, web development manager. Sorry, Franco. We get dozens of these. I don't know where they come from. There's maybe most of them are bots or scams. I don't know. We get dozens of them. Yeah. I guess probably between our, you know, when you have a podcast, it, it has some algorithm. They're able to send it out somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was nice of Margie to, to touch base with us. It I'll invite nice. her to listen to the podcast. It was nice. See if it's a fit. I'll I'll write um I'll write um Franco back. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I write back and I say, you know, dear so-and-so, we have no money. Yeah. We don't have any money at all. We yeah. can't possibly hire you because we don't have any money. Right. No money, none, right. no money. Yeah, and they Not write none. back. Usually that ends it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I guess I'm this Saturday. Gonna... Yes, is June 25th. It's the Long Branch Garden oh, Tour. Yeah. If you are in the Toronto area, come on down to mm. Long Branch. Stop on 27th Street. You can meet George, star, international star, international on stage star. and screen. <laughs> You could see over 34 gardens, I believe. Uh, oh, I think there are 34 gardens. Okay. I'd say over 30 gardens. You could you could write it, you could be a web designer with that attitude. I know. So if you want to come down, um, you know, there's a little bike rental, one of those city bike rental places yeah. right up on Lakeshore. That would be a great way. You know, park your car up on Lakeshore, Good rent idea. a bike and bicycle around the, uh, the all the gardens. Uh, you can get maps online at longbranchgardentour.ca and you can follow the map on your phone, for instance, or you could stop at any of the businesses in Long Branch that have a poster and you can get a hard copy map and brochure. And you can also get those uh, at the gardens. 
So yeah. we'd like to invite everybody to come on down and enjoy the garden tour. It's really a blast. You get to spy on other people's gardens. You get to steal their ideas. You get to meet super Newfoundland dogs named George. Yep. And it's it's a really good time. And we have some of the best gardens anywhere in our little corner of Toronto. All Plus, right. It's cooler by the lake. And it's cooler by the lake. And cooler by the Eugene. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back at you next week. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for those emails. See, we're not scary to email. You can email us. We're friendly. We don't bite. Usually. We don't bite. And if you want to email us, it would be theagency.podcast at gmail.com. Oh, we're like a reverb. Love it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.